Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good afternoon, uh, morning, evening, whenever it is that you are listening to this uh, wonderful edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. I'm Matt Minnick, as always, joined by Michael Rogner. It is Sunday, December 13th, which means it is one day after a glorious day for Florida State Seminole fans everywhere. Uh, the football game was, was a, a finally a blowout win. Hadn't experienced that for a while. Florida and Miami both took losses on the hardwood and the gridiron. And uh, one of those losses on the hardwood came at the hands of the Garnet and Gold as, as the Florida State uh, Seminoles men's basketball team uh, once again established their, their domination over, over UF. They, they were seventh straight win in the series. It is the 26th consecutive home win for Florida State overall and uh, their fifth consecutive win going back to last year uh, that ended, you know, prematurely before the ACC tournament. Uh, so, Michael, great, great day all around, huh? Yeah, it was a pretty epic day for, for Florida State sports. And, and, you know, watching your rivals lose is part of that. And, and the way that the Florida Gators lost their football game with the guy chucking the shoe down. The, that Who was, throws a shoe, honestly? Right? It, was a, it was a pretty good toss, though. Give them that. It went like 25 yards. I, I haven't gone outside to throw a shoe yet, so I don't know how good of a toss that was. But I, I, was, I was impressed. Um, for the basketball game, you know, obviously the whole Keontae Johnson um, – uh, situation kind of uh, uh, you know took over for a bit and you feel terrible for the guy and, and you hope he gets better uh, you know obviously thoughts out to the family confused. for sure yeah yeah and then the family is in Tallahassee with them and I think Mike White spent the night so you know hopefully it was just you know some small little medical thing and he bounces right back but you know thoughts out to him but we're also here to talk about basketball and and there's no uh, you know reason why we shouldn't be celebrating yesterday's win so i'm excited to talk about it and uh, yeah glad to be here yeah no i and i agree it's this is a, a basketball podcast so we're gonna we're gonna talk basketball i i do i'm just curious uh and, and since it was a basketball game were you a little bit surprised michael that the um there just was talk about should the game have been stopped, I guess. And, and, you know, I know that coach Hamilton, of course, uh, gracious as he is, uh, made it, made it be known to the UF staff and, and the game officials that Florida state was absolutely willing to do whatever it was, um, that, you know, whether it was stop play, whatever we, we were going to cooperate with everything, but were you a little surprised that it continued on? 
Uh, you know, not really. I, I, you know, I, I get the perspective from people who, who think that it should have been stopped. You know, I think back to Terrence Shannon, you know, when he, when he hurt his neck and, and got taken off the court on a board, you know, Florida State kept playing. And at, at, at the halftime of, the, of yesterday's game, Mike White asked his players if they wanted to keep playing, and they all said yes. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, th- this is what those guys want to do. It's probably what Keontae Johnson would have wanted them to do, you know, mm-hmm. is, is, mm-hmm. is to keep playing. They're out there to compete. This is, this is why they're in college. Uh, and it's it's a obviously a tough situation, but you know if you look at football, you know guys are getting taken off all the time, and nobody's talking about about quitting the game. It's obviously much rarer in a you know lower contact sport like basketball. But you know I, I wasn't surprised that it kept going, and you know if, if if it had been stopped, and you asked me the same question, I probably would give the same answer that I'm, I wasn't surprised that it was stopped. You know I, I can see both sides. Yeah, I think that I think the football point. I'd forgotten about Terrence Shannon, uh, and you're right. That was a scary moment. Uh, gosh, maybe a decade or so, 10, 12 years ago, that was a scary moment uh, for those in the Tucker Center. Um, but And you're right about football that, sure, sometimes it's maybe a leg injury, but there are times where a, a football player has – you know, what at the time is, is an injury that's only known, or I shouldn't even say an injury, a situation where the full extent is not known. Maybe they've had a, a severe head trauma. Maybe they've had, you know, a broken back um, at times in football games. And, and um, you know, Chris Winkie broke his neck in a game, uh, you know, back in the 90s. So um, you're right that there are certainly times where, you know, the, the outcome of the injury or the, or the situation is truly not known. And, and there is a brief, you know, there's a pause and then the game continues. Um, feels like in 2020, we're so used to games being just postponed or canceled that it felt, I guess it's almost like become sort of, that's the, that's what happens. But um, none, nonetheless, the game did continue. And, and honestly, Michael, so when it was, when the game was stopped, it was 11 to three uh, UF. UF had come out quite hot from three um, and, and Florida state, I think their shooting their cold shooting from the Indiana game had sort of uh, trickled over, but I, I think, you know, UF maintained their lead for another five, six, seven minutes. And then it seemed like Florida state kind of found their footing and it seemed, and, and when Florida state was able to make buckets, it, it's, it's kind of like golf, right? Gosh, when you hit it in the fairway and then you hit it on the green, it's pretty, pretty easy to score. Well, uh, when Florida state was able to make buckets that allows them to set up their defense that allows them to really extend pressure beyond half court and get turnovers, <laughs> uh, all, all of a sudden it's like last year where it just becomes an avalanche of points. I don't know that that would have been any different. I don't know. I, I don't know how that would have been different or not. It seems like just when Florida state starts making shots, they're going to be hard to beat. Uh, is that, was that your maybe takeaway from the first half there? Yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about how Florida just kind of collapsed after um, that's probably not the word I should use, but Florida, you know, folded after the Kante Johnson situation, but yeah, you, you got it right. It was that, that happened at 16 minutes and change. And they maintained their lead until, you know, almost eight minutes. So then it wasn't until then that Florida State was able to make their run. What, you know, what I saw in the, in the beginning of that game was a really young offense that was just being kind of teased by the Gators. The, the Gators, especially Scotty Lewis, were just all over the place defensively. And, you know, one of the things that the Gators want to do is uh, tempt you into driving places where you don't want to be driving they're they're basically just tempting you to dribble right into a double team which happened again and again and again and it it, and it took a while for the coaches to kind of get the players focused you know get them executing the game plan and once they did you know from from about uh, you know eight minutes on till till the end of the game what we saw was Florida State getting dribble penetration into the right spots penetrating with passes into the right spots. And that just opened up all kinds of offense. And so it, it, it was a, it was a great game to see um, the offense kind of, uh, you know, grow up as we were watching. And you're right that Kante Johnson would not have made a difference in that. I think, you know, his, his, the difference he would have made in the game would have been more, more on the offensive, offensive end, you know, yeah. Florida State has plenty of players who can t- attack a guy his size. Yeah, I definitely think that he 
he, he brings another dimension. Uh, now, for, I want to say that Scotty Lewis for UF played a heck of a game. I'm not exactly sure why that kid is still in college. Um, he, he, like, let's, <laughs> he came in much higher ranked than Patrick Williams, right? Like last year before the season, every single mock draft out there said that Scotty Lewis was a lotto pick. Uh, and so this was a, you know, can't miss five-star Scotty Barnes type of prospect that went to UF. And I, I don't know, I, it seemed like they tried to base so much last year around Kerry Blackshear. And um, I, I, it didn't really seem like UF actually had knew what the system they were running last year was. It seemed, it seemed like it was different every time I watched them uh, play. And um, so I, for whatever reasons, Scotty Lewis's stock slid a bit. He probably still would have been a first round pick had he come out. My guess is, is that, just a little bit of the pre-draft warm-up, you know, nine months passes between the end of the season and the NBA draft. My guess is, is that you, he would have seen his stock rise up into that like 15 to 20 spot on the NBA draft. Regardless, he's back at UF. He has taken a step forward for sure. He played a heck of a game. I think that Keontae uh, would have added even more of an offensive development there. But defensively, to your point, it just seemed like once – it's kind of like when FSU plays Syracuse. Once they figured out where the ball needed to be to attack the defense, didn't seem like UF was going to be able to do a whole lot to stop us. And especially when you have guys like Anthony Polite that are maybe like not even secondary scoring options, but like third scoring options, stepping up and, and reining in shots. Yeah, if you, if you look at what Florida did – offensively i mean they hit they hit 10 threes you know 44 percent they uh you know didn't they weren't all that all that efficient on their twos you know but it was they they were running their offense and they were they were getting shots and and they to your point about losing blackshear and and uh, also nimhard you know it seems like their 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 identity is a little better this year but you know, they turned the ball over 20 times. Like the, the Florida state pressure was just too much for them to handle, even though, you know, they've got Trey Mann, he's a five-star point guard. Um, you know, they've, they've got some, some, uh, uh, uh you know, experienced the guys around them. The Tyree, transfer, Appleby. Right? They, yeah. Appleby. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so uh, efficient guys, but you know, Scotty Lewis turned it over five times. Appleby turned it over five times. Lock and man each turned it over three times. I mean, it, it is tough to beat Florida State, um, when, you know, when you're turning the ball over like that. And that, that's exactly the kind of game that Florida State was able to shape. You know, it started off in, in the Gators' favor. And then Florida State over, you know, the, the last 25, 28 minutes of the game was able to really shape it and do a Florida State game. And if, if that happens, especially when Florida State's at home, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to walk away with a win. I, I think, and you combine that, and again, and again, it goes back to making shots, right? So if, if Florida State is making shots, they're able to get that, that prevents those, you know, a missed three leads to a long rebound, leads to a run out pass leads to a foul on the other end or a dunk or, or a rotation that, you know, you, you have to stop ball. And so then there's someone in the corner. And, and if you combine, I think what was, uh, so Florida state on the other end went, um, they, sh they also shot like 40% from three, right. Or 50%. 50, from, yeah. yeah 8 50. Of 16. If, if Florida state is going at home, going eight of 16 for three, able to then set up their defense especially now a defense that is headed up the head of the snake is a six, nine monster named Scotty Barnes um, to then generate turnovers on let's call it 23, 24 plus percent of possessions. You're not, you're just not going to win in Tallahassee. That's, that's not going to happen. If, if Florida state is making 50% of threes and turning you over 20 to 25% of the game, you're, you're not winning. Yeah, and those those threes were you know fun to watch. One, you know, we, we were down eight eight minutes in the first half. I think we were down ten or eleven, and we hit two threes back to back in like in like fifteen seconds. Um, it was uh, Anthony Polite, and I don't remember who the other one was. Might might have been um, Calhoun, um, but we nailed a couple of threes. We're right back in it. Um, Polite made three on the game, and and you know, he he's kind of gotten to the point where every time he shoots one, it looks like it's going in. Um, he's, he's not somebody who's out there going to be creating his own, 
uh, shot very much. He did have a nice, you know, kind of long two that he created on his own, but you know, he's just a spot up shooter and so far in the year he's made 50% and he knocked down three or four yesterday. And, and MJ is obviously, you know, another great shooter. And, and so if, if we're seeing the kind of, uh, you know, we're not going to make 50% on the year, obviously, but if we're seeing the kind of shots that we were seeing yesterday, then this team, man, the, the offensive ceiling is pretty high because we saw a lot of, you know, defenses collapsing then kicking the ball out. Um, if that guy's not open, maybe a skip pass, you know, and just leading to wide open threes where the guys are just stepping into it. And and we have enough shooters on this team, probably more than last year, um, you know, that's going to enable Florida State to really, really take advantage of that like we saw yesterday. Yeah. It, polite, you mentioned his – he's not going to create – like you said, he's not going to create a whole lot. He, he will finish in transition. I mean, let's say that. He, he can – he's, I think, probably more athletic than people give him credit for. Um, but – to me, he's starting to really feel like like he's developing a David is Dolkey's game, um, it, except for I, I think his stroke might actually be a, a little bit better. Dolkey's, his shots never looked way off. They were, I think, there were a lot of games where he would be consistently long and, and it would hit back iron. And um, and so, you know, he had certainly like the Dolkey's game where he'd make, I think uh, Dolkey's maybe was streaky, right? He'd have a game, he'd maybe make, 10 out of 15 in one stretch and then only make three out of 15 in the next stretch. I feel like polite, his stroke is like a, a little bit more repeatable and a little bit just more consistent in that. I, I feel pretty confident that if he's taken a shot from the corner, I don't know, like he's probably going to make two out of four. Like you said, as a team, we won't shoot 50%. He probably is going to make two out of four from the corner in most games. Um, so I, polite as a red shirt junior seems to be really, really developing into something that uh, is, is needed on, like he has a very established role on this team. Uh, and, and can we speak, I think speaking of developing, can we talk, can we have like a little segment here on Raekwon Gray? I mean, <laughs> I, the, the, this, the progress he's made, not that we should be, any of us should be surprised with guys that are at Florida state for three and four years making progress, but we just talk about polite who really seems to be kind of establishing his role. He's going to be a three and D guy. Raekwon gray is getting to the, like his, his off ball defense and some of his weak side defense. I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but he has these little like poke aways from behind where it's, it's Devin Vassell level defensive anticipation. Uh, and, and he is, he is changing the game at both ends of the court. Yeah, and if, if you know, you remember back to his freshman year, it's like every, everybody's like, "Why is this guy in the game?" And then last why is year, he on the team, like, I think people yeah, ask, yeah. like, "Why is Raekwon Gray on the team?" Uh, and then last year, it's like, "Okay, he's kind of doing some good things, but he's still, you know, Raekwon." And then this year, it's it's just a total game changer. It's it, it reminds me, um, it's sort of an accelerated version of MJ Walker's development. You know, MJ was a much higher, you know, prospect. And so he came in and we had these expectations, but it wasn't really until his junior year that he, he really blossomed into a player and, and Raekwon is kind of doing the same thing. He's not going to be anything like the player that, that MJ is totally different style, but you, you kind of can kind of see, you know, the, the player that he is going to become. And that, that is someone who is just needs to be on the floor because if he, even without being an extremely efficient offensive player, he just impacts the games and, and in a lot of ways. And if you talk to the coaches, I guarantee you that that they're they're totally in line with what we're saying and they're seeing a lot of things that we're not seeing and you know feel feel the need to to, to, to have him out on the floor whether he's making shots or not. He's the leading rebounder this year. Uh, he's I think. Top. Josh Pick, who does a lot of our stats work for Tomahawk Nation, he he shared me what his defensive rebound rate is. Uh, I, I, you know what? This is this is such improvement. I don't want to mess it up. So let me just let me just scroll down here on Ken Palm uh, Ken His defensive rebounding rate now it's only through three three games is twenty eight point nine percent. Uh, meaning that of all the available, uh, you know, what missed shots while he's on the court, mm -hmm. missed shots by the opponent while he's on the court, he, he's grabbing 29% of them. That is 45th in the country, Michael. 
Yeah, and it's third in the ACC. I mean, there's only Jay Huff and Jalen Johnson have have done a better job. The job. Uh, We're talking know, this, about an elite this, defensive rebounder. Yeah, and and last year the 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 top Florida State defensive rebounder was 19th in the ACC. You know, and now we have a guy who's third in the ACC. That's that's a massive. And a he massive can turn jump. around and and bring it up the court. He's exactly. probably our second yeah. best ball handler. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where the comparisons to Draymond come in. Is is you know his body shape was a you know originally the the comparison, but now the game as well. It's and when you when you have a guy who can rebound at that rate and then run the break, it's it's a it's pretty you know it's a great tool to have for the coaching staff. His conditioning is much improved, and I, I don't. Some some of the guys I think probably listen to some of these, uh, you know, listen to the podcast. I don't know if if Raekwon's listening or not, but um, you know, I, I sat, I, I was at the team banquet two years ago, and um, it, it, it's it's always a great time. You get to see the guys in a different element. And Fiondu Cabangeli, who who is, if you've ever met Fiondu, uh, Fee's a very jovial smile on his face, loves to kind of goop around guy. And uh, Fee was kind of, you know, kind of razzing uh, Raekwon a bit about like, you know, hey, hey, take some of that off his plate. Take, because at the time Raekwon needed to lose some weight and, you know, Fee, Fee's like, hey, bring, bring that over to me. Bring Raekwon's plate over to me. And, you know, just ra- razzing him back and forth. I, I think Raekwon Gray has done a tremendous job dedicating himself to getting in better condition, getting in better shape. He, he's clearly gotten in the weight room. You know, he's, he's playing a bit above the rim this year, which I don't think was something that was, you know, within his capability on a consistent level previously. And I, and I think that now he's able to, it looks to me like he's a guy who feels comfortable giving that level of effort and intensity the entire time he's out on the court, as opposed to feeling like he's got to maybe conserve or, you know, just, just flat out being out of shape. And, and when you get tired, you make mistakes and you lunge and you reach and you foul. That, that's what happens when basketball players get tired. His conditioning, I think, has really been a big part of the change. And, and that's that's a credit to him and the coaching staff. Yeah, it, all, it almost makes me wonder why he didn't become an offensive tackle, you know, like a left tackle. He's, he's got be incredible. The, his feet are just unbelievable. And then, you know, he's got the size six, eight, he could easily beef up to like three ten or something, but now he'd, that, he'd be an incredible left tackle. He'd yeah. be an incredible heavyweight boxer. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the quickness yeah. of his hands, but it, it, it has the appearance now that he's going to make plenty of money playing basketball. So uh, I think it's, it's, and it's a much safer sport than any, than any of those other two. So good. Michael, I saw him, you know, I, I like to, I, I, Love me some NBA and NBA draft talk. Um, and I, for the first time, I saw him on an NBA draft board uh, for for the top 100. Now, he wasn't in the actual mock draft. This was just a top 100 available players for next year's draft in Raekwon Gray, checking in there at 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and my guess is, you know, if he's listening, you know, continued hard work, continued uh development of that outside shot and that 87 probably turns into a 37 so, yeah and he's, he's he's still young enough i mean he's 21 you know he's not like polite who's 23 and you know is already kind of fully formed so his his trajectory is is up 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 and he's still young enough to, to get a lot better so i wouldn't be surprised i just the plays he's starting to make on there's one one against uf where you know, Florida State's extending pressure. Uh, you, it's it's over kind of around the, like the UF timeline maybe and, and the ball handler. Uh, Gray is off ball. He's defending someone off ball. The ball handler picks up his dribble and he needs some help. So he goes to make a pass to somebody who's kind of standing on the on the wing towards the corner. And, and the UF guy, Gray sees all this unfolding as, it, as it's happening, right? He knows where that pass has to be delivered because the guy has picked up his dribble and he just sneaks sneaks underneath and and gets that hand in there and pokes it away as soon as the uf uh player is receiving the pass and it's i think it ended up being a scrum we didn't quite get control of the ball it was a scrum and it ended up being like a half court heave to beat the the shot clock that is a devin vassell level off ball defensive play that that is an nba elite basketball iq play 
Yeah, no, I, we don't we don't track uh, deflections at Tomahawk Nation. Maybe we should, but I would guarantee you that he's leading the team. You know, and it's it's kind of like passes defended in in football. You know, the the more deflections that you get in basketball, the higher the higher your number of steals is going to be. The you know the lower efficiency the other team's going to have. So. Uh, the the coaches are definitely charting deflections and and maybe we can ask one of them but but Raekwon is I, there's no chance he's not in first for Florida State yeah yeah um, let's see so I a few other things before we move on from the, I mean who doesn't want to talk more about Florida State beating Florida for the seventh straight time um, so Scotty Barnes seemed to seem to take another step I mean it seemed like maybe that that the over he wasn't that great against indiana until the over until the end of regulation and the overtime it seems like maybe that um get, it sounded like post game he got a boost of confidence from that and he comes out he hits another three which look out there uh if, if he's a 33 percent three-point shooter that's game changing uh so he hits another three and 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 really he his aggression to the rim i think started to impress me i mean he i think he brings a swag to the team yeah, after he hit that shot against Indiana, the, you know, he was asked in the post game, you know, what his thoughts were about it. And he's like, well, I just don't really, I don't really have any thoughts about it. You know, it was just, it was just another yeah. basketball play. I don't know if there's a, if there's a, a favorable way to call someone a serial killer, but, but Scotty Barnes is a, is a serial killer. Yeah, that was Ari Masuti dropping yeah, out again, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And so kudos to Ari on, on that, on that. But yeah, he uh, kind of, what were three games into his career? He he totally took over overtime against Indiana and then played his best game against Florida. We've we've managed to go I don't know how half an hour or whatever into the pod and we haven't mentioned the dunk that he had in transition, which was go which go was gadget arms on that one. I mean, good lord. Yeah, you can see him about mid-court. He did this earlier on the dunk he, he missed, too, that, you know, he he's running at what appears to be full speed, and then he just kind of kicks it into another gear because he, he can see the play unfolding. And and so that's something to watch out for in future games. That when, when he kicks it into another gear at half court, something fun is about to happen. Yeah. And, you know, yesterday, yesterday we saw it. But, you know, he also had, you know, five assists. He's had at least five assists in all, th- all three of his games. You know, he's – he uh, did not play well early against Florida. You know, he was one of the guys who really struggled against their defense early. Uh, but but once they figured it out, you know, he was doing all the right things. And and it's that development as a point guard that we're really interested in, in seeing. I mean, obviously all the splash plays are fun, you know, but it's, it's the development as point guard is going to determine, you know, to a large extent how far this team is able to go you know, come come tournament time. And so far, so good. I mean, he's, he's, he's been fantastic for a guy, not, not just for a guy who's never really played point guard before, but just for, for any freshman point guard who's coming into the ACC, you know, he's been super impressive at that position. Yeah. The, the dunk, I mean, Hey, another Florida state home game with somebody getting posterized. I feel like, that's, that's a, you know, MJ, MJ caught a body too. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and then did, I was actually really pleased to see the Iverson step over. I, I yeah. think texts like that are probably worth it. If you already have a big lead. Uh, yeah. Cause, cause you just, you, you just want to let people know that we're not, we're not here to mess around. You know, if, if you're going to come into the Tucker center, you better, better strap it on. Uh, but I thought actually my favorite Scotty Barnes play was, I think Florida had cut it to maybe 10 with about two to three minutes to go. Um, and, and not that, not that I ever felt like there were, the game was in doubt, but um, you know, they cut it to 10. You don't want to see him make another three and, and Scotty calmly is, is dribbling out by the perimeter and, and, and Florida switches. to he realized he sees that he's got a smaller guy on him. I mean, most guys are smaller than Scotty Barnes. He's six, nine, two thirty, And, and he sets him up and, I think because he's so large, you know, he has a deceptive first step. He's, he's not, he's not quick like a cat the way maybe like a, like a, um, I don't know, like a Tony Douglas would be, but he, he, he makes up so much ground with that, with his steps that he, he gets right by the defender, gets right into the lane, makes the, uh, makes the layup, draws the foul and, and kind of pushes it back to 12. And it's like, no, the game, the game's over folks. Like that where you're not coming back. And, if, if he's able to consistently take his man off the dribble like that, you're just going to see, and then actually finish at the rim, the, the number of kickouts and lobs are just going to increase exponentially. 
uh, because if, if he's great, if he's getting by his man off the dribble, somebody's going to have to come up and risk being posterized uh, and, you know, to protect the rim. And that, and that's when he just, just tosses it up, you know, for someone, for someone like MJ or, or Bolsa or somebody to go Malik to just go and get and slam home. So I, I think that takes the offense even, even another level. Yeah, you can go both ways with the dribble, which is nice. You know, all teams are trying to trying to either funnel you into the middle or funnel you baseline, and you know, being able to being able to attack both ways, he can he can get to where the other teams don't want him. You know, and that, that that's nice. We've we've also you you did mention um, you know a couple other things about the Florida game. You did mention the the MJ Walker uh, uh, dunk. We really can't give that enough public pub. You know, you gotta go online and watch. <laughs> And then the step, the step over, I, you know, that's just, that's beautiful. And the other thing we should mention is that it's four straight times that Florida state has beat Florida by double digits. So it's not just that Florida state has won seven, seven games in a row. It's just like, they're not they're at this point, they're not even close. So Mike white is, is bringing in a ton of talent. This was the year for Florida to beat Florida state because they're going to lose a lot of that talent this year. And Florida state has a top five class coming in. So uh, thing, things are looking good in terms of, of, of who's dominating the, the, the state of Florida, despite the map that CBS Sports puts out every year that, you know, where they, they color in the states, like right. based on which right. team is the, be- the best. And it's always Florida and Florida State is now one seven in a row. Let me ask you, uh, I, I, we could probably talk about every player on, on the team, uh, but I, you know, Tanner, Tanner and Gom uh, seemed like, so the first, just the first couple of games, I think he played, let me see here. Uh, is, and maybe it's Tenor, I, maybe uh, Tenor and Gom, but he, he, this is the, the graduate transfer from Ryerson out of Canada. He, he only played nine minutes in the first two games and he, and he scored three points in those, in those nine minutes and fouled three times. Uh, he played six, that was combined. He played six minutes against Florida had six points, uh, two for two shooting, also displayed a nice free throw stroke, made both of those, and only fouled once. Uh, is that something, I mean, see, maybe ho- are we hopefully seeing him get a little bit more acclimated to this level of basketball? Yeah, maybe he is getting a little more comfortable. I mean, he he had the ball against Colin Castleton and was able to just go over him for a nice little, little layup, which was good to see for a guy his size. Um, and he was, you know, like a 78 or 79% free throw shooter at, at Ryerson. So, you know, seeing, seeing him step up and knock down two yesterday was, was not surprising at all. Uh, it, it's encouraging. I don't know if I would say that, yeah, we've got a backup center, but um, it is encouraging. And, you know, the coaches need more options, you know, at the center position. And so having him um, step up and be able to really back up also would be, would be a huge benefit for this team. One other guy um, I, before we maybe take a break. So we've got Sadar Calhoun, which is, is a person that we've talked about a lot on this pod and he, he has shown these glimpses. Uh, so he's, he's now already made, a, he's made a three in every game. So that's nice. Uh, he, he's made four threes through three games uh his minutes he played 15 minutes against north florida everybody played a lot against north florida he played 14 against indiana albeit in a 45 minute game and then only played seven against uf uh he 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 dished out a uh he had an assist he seems to be he seems to be getting deflections or hands on the ball he's had a couple of steals this year and, and again he's making the three every game what do you think right now is uh, just from what you're seeing, you're not on the coaching staff. We're not in the meetings, but is it, does he have a little bit of Malik Beasley syndrome going on right now where he's just not quite uh, gambling too much on D or not quite getting into the, the to the uh, rotations? Yeah, I don't, I, I, it's been a, a bit of a mystery to me. I mean, Ham clearly thinks about three point shots in a different way than I do. You know, I want him out there because he can knock down threes and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's already made like 57% for the, for the season and, and limited attempts. Uh, but, you know, Anthony Polite is playing great. Um, we, Wyatt Wilkes has been playing a lot. I wouldn't say he's been playing great. He's, he's had some, certainly some good moments. And the, and the coaches just clearly, you know, trust those guys at this point more than they do Calhoun. Um, I would anticipate that his minutes are going to increase. Um, I don't know 
about dramatically, but increase significantly, you know, over, over the next 10 or 10 or 12 games, at least I, I would hope they do. He's, he's just got too much, um, you know, potential to make things happen, to keep him off the, off the court. You do, at this point, you, the problem is you don't know if it's going to be something good or something bad. It's just, you know, something's going to happen when he comes in the game. He's just got so much energy and, the the one major red flag I've seen from him is his shot selection has been awful. Um, he, uh, you know, not only has has like dribbled into taking really bad twos, you know, one of which got got blocked about thirty feet yesterday, um, but also on his threes, like he's not he's not setting himself up uh, as much as he could be to just be stepping into threes. He had, he had a wide open break against Indiana and instead of just dribbling to the three point line and, and taking a shot, he, t- he, he did some weird like sides, three foot sidestep, you know, and then shot when there's nobody guarding him. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Just, just shoot the ball. So I think that's the one major red flag that I've seen, but you know, he's, he's also a Juco guy, you know, who's used to shooting a ton each game and, and probably hasn't thought all that much about shot selection. So I think once he, he cleans that up a little bit, he'll start getting more minutes. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's a little baffling. Uh, I don't, I, it's not like I'm advocating for him to be a starter, I, I, I'm a little surprised that he's not seeing more of Wyatt's minutes, maybe. Um, and back to what you said about Polite. Polite has been very impressive at this point. I'm, I'm you know, but, you know, I, I want him on the court. At the same time, we, you got you to gotta build functional depth. And, and listen, Hamilton knows that better than anybody in the country. So far be it from, it's not like I'm uh, telling him what to do, but um, you, you know, this, if you, if you're going to be competitive in March, you, you got to build that functional depth. Now, I don't know that honestly, the Georgia tech game is going to be, we'll talk about that more. I mean, they got a pretty experienced backcourt. I don't know that that's a game you necessarily get it in unless, unless Florida has a big lead. Um, I'm hoping that the UCF game is maybe the one where we can see Calhoun kind of have a, a breakout party. Sure. He has this, I think you have a point about his shot selection, but it's not like PJ Savoy had great shot selection. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like, especially his first year, it's not like Brian Angola had great shot selection. And it's not even like CJ Walker had good shot selection. So I don't know that that in and of itself, I, I, I just, you know, sometimes we've actually, I've heard uh, later on that sometimes it's the player expressing not quite comfortability in the system and, and the, and the coaches kind of helping the player come along slowly and, and giving him what, you know, in practice, I mean, which they are seeing, we are not, he, he is feeling comfortable with. I'm actually impressed that he makes the threes as consistently as he does without really having a lot of minutes. He just sort of comes in, takes a three, makes it, and then, you know, leaves. I don't know. I'd like to see him up closer to 15, 18 minutes a game, but hopefully that's coming. Yeah. It, it's, you, you you brought up a lot of those old players and, and you're right in that they did they you know had similar similar issues and and with but with Calhoun I just I don't know I I, I think he needs more minutes and, and that's if I had a bone to pick with the first three games it's it's that and and part of the problem is with COVID you know we're not getting six or seven games against totally overmatched teams where you can bring these guys right. in and, and give right. them some game time. It's like we've played three games and two of them are against tournament teams. Yeah, no, that, and that, and that's totally, and that's totally a consideration that needs to be factored. I mean, at this point in this season, we would have had me complain about, you know, RPI or net, net bad net games for, for three or four ten, times by now. And right now, I mean, like you said, we're playing sweet 16 teams. So um it could it could simply just be a function of that um all right we're gonna uh we're gonna take a break when we come back from the break uh we're gonna there's gonna be a a new segment that we're gonna try i don't know if it's gonna be an every pod segment but we're gonna bring up bring a new segment that we're gonna like uh i think we're gonna like i think y'all are gonna like called the one and one uh and then we'll talk a little bit about georgia tech uh see you on the flip side i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Uh, we just we, we just broke down the seventh straight win over UF and uh, and sort of just the breakout success we're seeing from guys like Polite and Raekwon Gray. Uh, if you want, if you missed that part, go back, check it out. Uh, I, I teased a new segment that we're going to be doing moving forward. And uh, so here it's called the one and one. So, so Michael, I'm going to, uh, you know, name a subject, name a topic, if you will. And, and there will, the, the response will ask for a one answer of one type of, uh, I guess, I don't want to call it positive or negative, but on one side of the coin and one answer on the other side of the coin. Uh, so, so we'll, we'll start off here with just maybe a, an easy one for everyone to see how this goes. So, so with the one and one, uh, we've played three games so far. We're three and oh, uh, tell me one thing that you've been impressed with from Florida state through those three games. And one thing that you are still waiting to see. All right. We'll see. We'll see how well I can get through this. Matt's dropping me on, dropping this on me on short notice. So, so uh, hang in there folks. But one thing that I have, have been impressed with is that uh, Tam had, had talked in the preseason about not really focusing on defense and focusing much more on offense in the, in the practices, but our defense has been really good. The, the, turnover we're 14th in the nation at forcing turnovers and then the, the statistic that i always point to if you want to know how good a ham defense is look at that defensive two-point percentage and right now it's 39.6 which the lowest any ham team has ever been is at 40 percent, which was that 2011 team that had the best defense in, in history um so yeah we're, we're right there and playing and playing great d and and still making enough mistakes that you can see them see them getting a lot better. Uh, one area of concern I have is is probably the bench production. There's just there's not a lot there. You know, once we're once we're getting out of the top five plus um, um, uh, you know it's like Osborne and Gray, Walker, Barnes, Polite. Once we get out of, once we get out of those, it's like there's not a ton of of production coming coming off the bench. So we need we need to see that pick up. Hopefully that's where a guy like Calhoun, who we just talked about in the last segment, uh, is able to step up or maybe Evans. I don't know. Raekwon Evans has been, has been a mystery to me so far. Uh, he, he, he showed flashes last year of being a guy really capable of, of having big time moments and big time games. And so far this year, it looks like he's pressing a little bit or something. I can't put my finger on it. Um, that, that two point defense stat is a good one, particularly uh, since we played Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> who is a monster yeah. center. Uh, so that, uh, that, that's a good set indeed. Um, okay. So maybe let's, let's go to the next one here. So just let's think about the ACC in general, not Florida state, just the ACC. Give me, uh, give me one disappointment and one positive surprise. Uh, disappointment. It's, it's hard not to go with Duke at this point. I mean, not only are, is coach K suddenly advocating to, to move this, move the season ahead three or four months. Um, but it, they've just, they, they looked pretty bad and, and getting blown out by Illinois. Um, you know, the same Illinois team that lost to Missouri yesterday. So, uh, that, that, that's not good. Um, they're, I mean, they looked bad in their opener against Coppin state. Coppin state's one of the worst teams and, in all of basketball and it's and it's hard to judge somebody on their opener but but they just didn't look good and they've got so much talent out there on the court you know uh, they always have at least like five five stars so they've been they've been uh disappointing to say the least and i would say that clemson um you know they're five and oh they beat purdue maryland alabama like they're playing really good basketball they should they probably have a resume that should have them in the top top like 12 and they they won't be there tomorrow when the rankings come out but like that they've played a tough schedule they're five and oh and they're just they're dominating yeah i i don't know that i would have anything different to say i I think that if clemson's jersey name said north carolina they would be ranked third tomorrow yeah yeah. they would be behind gonzaga and they would be behind baylor and they'd be ranked third maybe fourth if you want to um uh, have a team like Villanova or someone up there. Uh, but, and I know Villanova lost to VTech, but they also have some impressive, impressive wins. Um, so yeah, Clemson has been 
impressive. Amir Sims, as we expected, he would be impressive, but they're getting contributions elsewhere too. Um, and, and it's to the point where actually, I think we traveled to Clemson the week or the game before Duke comes to Tallahassee. I understand that little John is not going to be like little John in a normal season. Uh, but we lost that Clemson last year. I, I I'm probably at this point more confident in a win against Duke on January 2nd or 3rd or whenever that is than I am in winning against Clemson the game before. Yeah, their, their defense is elite, and that'll be fun to watch um, Florida State try to tackle. That could maybe be a rock the, fight. Yeah, maybe the best defense they're going to see all year. Yeah, no, that, that, could be, that could be 58 to 53 kind of game. Uh, okay, so I, I think we might skip I, – I don't know. I, I was going to ask a question about the bench, and, and, but it seems like you sort of uh, talked about the bench already uh, with your first answer. So maybe, uh, maybe I'll skip to the last one here that could kind of lead us into the next game for Florida State, which is um, Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets are our next opponent, and they come in a weird two and two when you look at uh, who the losses are and who the wins are. Uh, so give me, uh, give me one good thing about Georgia tech and one, you know, negative or area of concern. Yeah. They were a team that finished fifth in the ACC last year. So we kind of expected and returned everybody so that they kind of uh, expected that they would be better. So they, they've got wins over Kentucky and Nebraska that win over Kentucky is not looking so great as it, maybe it was when, when they won. Um, but that's one good thing is that they they got off to a totally shitty start and then were able to bounce back and, and win some games, which shows some resilience. Uh, the bad, you know, the bad thing is is the flip side of their schedule is they, you know, they opened against Georgia State and Mercer and lost both of them. Um, you know, those are those are both colleges that are close to them and, uh, you know, maybe get Georgia Tech's hand-me-downs when it comes to recruits. And so you, you just you just can't be losing those, those kind of games. You can't, uh, particularly if you're a Josh Passner who I, I don't know if they can afford to fire him or not, uh, not only with COVID, but just I think they're still paying uh, Paul Hewitt, uh, so let alone let alone Brian Gregory. Uh, but so um, you, you can't lose those games. I, I, I will say this, Michael, I have kind of personally decided, you know, when I go and look at teams and I'm evaluating, I'm maybe making predictions, I've sort of personally decided to toss out the first game on the schedule for every opponent. Uh, just because there was such uncertainty around practices, when the games were starting, the delays, um, the availability of, of even players and what was happening. And, and folks, sometimes I think fans aren't even realizing just, I can tell you as a media member, just getting into the game has been a lot harder. Where we're sitting, the, the distances, there's, there's less plugs and, you know, you're not having that pregame meal in the same place or with, you know, with folks. And so, the routine is just different and it's frankly more complicated. So that, that four overtime, 113 possession uh, loss to Georgia state, 123 to 120 in the opener, I kind of would just toss right out honestly, and not, not even think about it. Unfortunately for Georgia tech, that still leaves a 10 point loss to Mercer uh, at home uh, in the following game. And, and it's, it's a game that they, they really weren't, I mean, it's, it's not, I, I don't even know. They were down. They, they, they were losing kind of from the start. Um, and, and in the first, I guess, 10 minutes of the second half, they scored six points. Um, so they were down, they were down 10 with 10 minutes to go in the game. Now they did uh, turn it on and, and I think scored 32 points in the final 10 minutes. Unfortunately, they also allowed 32 points to Mercer. So <laughs> that's not, that's not a good close to the game. Uh, and, and it's not like they, they were missed. I mean, Michael DeVoe played Jose Alvarado played Moses Wright played. Um, they all played major minutes. It's not like, you know, people weren't out for COVID or anything like that. So it's difficult to explain it's difficult to just explain away a 10 point loss to Mercer. Nonetheless, they've turned around and have a, uh, to your point, have double digit wins over Kentucky and Nebraska. And they're going to come in here uh, with some very experienced guards. They, they're going to not, you know, they don't have a ton of size outside of uh, Moses Wright, but they are going to come in with, with some very experienced guards and guards who can, uh, can hit the three ball. We've seen them in the past. They maybe you know, this year seem to have opened a little cold, but we've seen them be able to hit the three in the past. Yeah. They're, 
they've they've started off shooting thirty percent from deep, which is not not good. Uh, Michael DeVoe, and it's also who, not going to last. I think they'll probably yeah. progress to the mean. Yeah, Michael DeVoe was a forty three percent shooter last year and forty percent as a freshman, and he's he's just made twenty eight percent this year. So he's going to pick up. We expected him to be on one of the all ACC teams, um, uh, and he's been really disappointing. In, in the early going the the one player who has stood out you know Moses Wright I picked him last year to be the breakout player and I I, I did that a year too early because this year he is he has just been amazing he's, he's averaging a double double he's like 21 points and, and 10 boards a game um he scored uh what 31 in their in their opener um he, he's he has just been a, a, a sort of Michael Ojo uh plus level of development you know when he came in when he came into georgia tech he could not play a lick and was one of the worst players in the league and now all of a sudden he's he's going to be you know he's playing like he's on on first team all accc um uh, downside is is that they they have not had much real functional depth so moses wright has played 90 percent of the minutes in the, in the in the early going um, Jose Alvarado hardly ever comes out of the game. Bubba Parham hardly ever comes out of the game. You know, they're just, they're just not a very deep team. And so if Florida State is able to get them in foul trouble or to, or to just get them tired, then it's going to be a, a major issue for, for the Yellow Jackets. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that's, I mean, that's playing Florida State, I think, for every opponent, right? I mean, I, I don't know that there's a lot of teams that are going to be able to have the kind of depth. Even, even in a year where we're like, oh, the bench, I don't know. I mean, what's our functional depth? We still we still are able to play nine guys, you know, pretty pretty decent minutes. And and to your point, uh, if there's if there's any kind of just foul trouble or, or anything like that on a guy like Moses Wright, who has broken out. I mean, he's a senior, uh, but if he gets into foul trouble, I'm not sure where where they would turn. Um, does, does Alvarado's playmaking ability, um, give, give you concern, uh, just in, in the sense that, I mean, we should be able to, to, we put length on him, right. We should be able to get deflections and really disrupt him. but is he quicker than anyone we have to guard him? Yeah, I expected him to give Florida State more trouble last year, and he wasn't able to do it. I mean, he's he's a good player. He's he's you know a New York City point guard, and and uh, he's he's got some wiggle to him. Um, he uh, you know understands what the coach is asking him to do, and goes out and does it. He's a you know he's a very good, experienced player. Uh, but being six foot one eighty is a problem if you don't have the speed of of uh, you know what's his little midget at Miami. Um, yeah, Chris likes Chris likes. Yeah. So, so Alvarado is certainly going to, going to cause some issues on the dribble drive, but also, uh, you know, we're going to kind of win our share of battles on those just because he's, he's not, uh, electric quick. He's probably quicker than, than any of our guys, but we're also funneling, you know, him into, into plenty of help. And, you know, they also have the kid from VMI, uh, Bubba Parham, who, um, you know, an, an interesting lesson on on college basketball transfers. He's this tiny little guy, 5'10", 160. Uh, and he was an elite three-point shooter at VMI. And he comes to Georgia Tech and only made 30% last year. And he's at 27% this year. So not all transfers are going to work out the way you want them just because of the elevation in, uh, uh, in competition. So we certainly don't want to leave them open. But if we're, if we're able to... Uh, you know, run our defense in, in any way that is um, efficient and, and, you know, accurate in the way that the coaches want us, then I just don't see many guys outside of DeVoe and Wright that, that are going to give FSU a ton of trouble. Yeah. I, I think I'm expecting DeVoe to pro- probably have a good game. Um, the Tucker Center, Tucker Center has good sight lines. I mean, it's just, it's a nice place to play basketball. And I think that people typically shoot well there. Uh, Florida State certainly certainly shoots uh, pretty well there, and, and I, we've seen opponents shoot well there over the years too. I, I just can't. Michael DeVoe Duvo is too good of a shooter to continue being seven of twenty-five, uh, which is what he is on the season. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see DeVoe have something like a four for seven game from three, or or maybe a four for eight game. Um, unfortunately, you don't win a basketball game by having four four made threes. Uh, you have to generally do other things well too. And, you know, 
Georgia Tech is a strong offensive rebounding team led led uh, by Moses right there at 13 percent. But they they are giving up a lot of offensive boards. And I think that's an area that Florida State can really Florida State has has recently has historically been a good offensive rebounding team this year. We may even may even be you know better than the last few years. Uh, so I think that's definitely an area that that we can exploit. I'm curious about the, um, so we started off the year by saying, Oh, we haven't played as many games and we've only played one, you know, Indiana's played these like four or five games and now we've only played one. Well, Georgia tech's played four, we've played three. So that's kind of even, but uh, Florida state just played on Saturday. They, they played a rival in a game that was emotional for several reasons, both in terms of, you know, beating your opponent on your rival on the court, but also uh, some of the tragic circumstances that happened. So they just played Saturday. This game is Tuesday, you have two days to kind of rest and prep. Georgia tech has been off uh, since their double digit win over Nebraska on Wednesday, which was on the road. Uh, but they've kind of had a week to recuperate, to plan, uh, Passner is a, is a pretty good defensive coach. Uh, and so he's going to be able to put, you know, put something in place. I'm not sure that they have a guy that can defend Scotty Barnes on the, like as physically other than maybe Moses, Wright. But um, I don't know. What do you think about the time? Like, is that help Florida state that we're sort of in rhythm just played or, you know, does Georgia tech come in with the, as the fresher legs? Well, this is, this is the second team in a row we've played that's had basically a week to prepare for, for us. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see the same style of game that Georgia Tech kind of comes out um, uh, hot and and uh, is able is able to get an early lead and then Florida State kind of you know claws their way back into it uh, just because Georgia Tech's going to be have a lot more reps and practice to, to to get ready. This is this is where having a uh, really cohesive. Um, experienced coaching staff uh, is going to pay off for Florida State. You know, Le Leonard Hamilton and, and the rest of the staff know exactly what Georgia Tech wants to do. So it's so it's not like they need to spend a ton of time doing uh, film review. They're, yeah. They already they already they've know seen, what the they've seen Alvarado four years, right? Yeah. So they they know what the game plan is, and and they have a limited amount of time to implement it. Um, but but. You know, we 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 know what Georgia Tech's going to do. So so that is beneficial to Florida State. Um, so the only the only real concern would be that initial uh, sort of punch in the mouth because I, I would expect them to be executing at a pretty at a pretty high level until you know we can get our players into a couple of timeouts and and really talk to them about what's happening on the floor. Yeah, it's it's for folks that are more familiar watching the football games. It's it's sort of like the scripted plays, right? You'll often, you know, teams in football come out and they execute their scripted plays uh, very well. I mean, they they march right down the field on the first drive and score a touchdown. Oh, this is going to be easy. Uh, but then the thing is, is that that's not the reality of of playing adjustments within the game. And so off, you, you see that in basketball a lot. A team starts out maybe the first eight ten minutes, and and they're able to get things. Uh, get to their spots on the floor, but a basketball game is 40 minutes long and, and people get fouls and people's legs get tired and, uh, and you start to have to adjust and make these sort of like who can actually dig in and turn the game into this type of, you know, style that they want to play. And, and that's typically where we've seen Florida state, you know, if, if they're anywhere close to tied at halftime, you kind of think like probably have a good shot at winning the game as, as the game goes on. So, uh, we'll we'll close it here with a prediction. Then, do you have? Um, looks like Florida uh, Ken Palm has Florida State favored by about uh, nine. Do you have a prediction? Sure. And and you 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 brought up the football analogy, and I just I just want to make sure that that we actually mentioned that Florida and Miami both lost yesterday, yeah. sort of in humiliating fashions in both that's of right. them. That's right. I just want to make make sure that that's out there. Um, against Georgia Tech, I. You know, it's. I watched them finish fifth last year in the ACC, so I shouldn't be saying this, but I just I have no faith in 
and Josh Pastner. I just, I just don't think that he is the answer. Um, he's, he's in, um, you know, arguably one of the top three or four cities in the, in the nation for college basketball talent. And he's, he's not recruiting. He's not, you know, he's not, he's just not performing at a high level. And I don't think that this is going to be the time that they come into the tuck and snap Florida state's winning streak. So, you know, I'll, I'll take Florida state. We do, we just beat the Gators by double digits. I think we, I think we beat Georgia tech by double digits. So I'll say something along the lines of, of like 76 to 62. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I do think I, I will say a win as well. I mean, it's just generally speaking, if it's the games in the Tucker center, I think it's a pretty good bet to go with a win considering one twenty six straight. Uh, obviously we do lose from time to time. So I'll go with a win as well. I don't know that I feel like quite as confident with the 14 points. Uh, but I, I will say that it's a, I will say that there are double digit leads during the game and, and that, it ends up being, uh, we'll call it an eight-point win. I'll say uh, seventy-eight to seventy. So we'll blame uh, Harrison Preto on the walk-ons for giving up late points there. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's been good talking to you as usual. Uh, and so game in game in a couple of days, and then hopefully we'll be able to hop back on and and talk about the twenty-seventh straight win uh, in the Tucker Center. Uh, Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Yep. For for Michael, I'm I'm Matt.